behold a pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Declarations of War, episode 142. Oh my god. I am Alexei Card, joined by my co-host, Yin Tan. Howdy, howdy. And Artemis Albosa. That was a fantastic radio voice, Jim. Yeah, both Thank of you are coming in nice and crystal clear. New recording locations for our co-hosts, and they sound fabulous. I wouldn't say more new and more... Back at my actual house. It's nice. <laughs> it's comfy. It's not Icelandic, though. Well, it can't be perfect. Mm, yeah. Iceland, Iceland, baby. <laughs> I really do think Bjorn has the best audio alerts of any streamer. Possibly ever. We gotta get him on the show sometime. Anyway, uh, before we get into stuff, let's do some shout-outs. Uh, first off, I want to give a shout-out to Night Jester. He made a huge impact when he joined our corp. I'll get into it a little bit more later on in the show. Uh, he's an old Noir guy. You know, he came, joined Royal Blackwatch Highlanders for a while, flew under Tarim, who was my XO for a long time. And uh, you know, we've reconnected, and he's joined Capitalist Army. And really, I mean, few people that I've run into have made such a tremendous difference so quickly after joining the corp that Night Jester has. And I really want to thank him for that and uh, thank him for spearheading the European Times into the corp, which has now picked up a few recruits. I also want to give a shout-out to Roggle. He's a listener. He works in a factory, and he listens to Declaration of the War to make his day go a little faster, and he sent me a, a really nice, heartwarming mail, and I just want to say that, no, my friend, you... You are appreciated, and thank you so much. Yin? Yeah, my personal shout-out is going to be to uh, Reconquista for making Talwar's a reality. Um, I'm sure we'll go into that later, unless that's uh, missed you, uh, Alexia. Oh, by all means, go into it. <laughs> if that's not a host highlight, I don't know what is. All right, cool, cool. Artemis? My shout-out is to the folks over at EventT for finally announcing the winter season. Looking forward to it. Always a good time. Looking forward to more day-by-day, uh, -day, play-by-play breakdowns of the new season when you get into it. It starts sooner than you think. Like, I'm fairly certain by the time... No, two podcasts from now, we will be in the middle of the feeder tournament, the EVNT Cup, which I will be participating in. We will no longer be receiving updates from the Nasty Boys. Um, the majority of those members have moved on, and Mercenary Coalition is looking at putting together another team or two from just various cliques within the Alliance. You guys have a name, or...? We do not. It is actually up for discussion. So if you have any good ideas, feel free to send me a mail. Mostly Cormorants at the moment has the most votes. <laughs> I like it. 
All right. Uh, we had a poll. Our Drake's OP in 2017 after they absolutely carried the Alliance tournament. Uh, only 25% of our audience would like to bring their Drake. The rest are absolutely not. Drake's are not OP. I am not convinced yet. I think next year we're going to see a huge Drake meta. Calling it now. Somehow I doubt that. Oh, Yen of Little Faith. If CCP ever implemented that stupid Rapid Light nerf and subsequent HML buff, maybe. But... CCP balance is a thing. CCP, please. Alright, obviously the big story in EVE, we can't not talk about it. It's been done to death, but it's such a huge thing that it needs to be brought up again. And in fact, there's a, also the CSM minutes that would go into that. Probably been done to death, but must be discussed. But first and foremost, Judgment Day. This was the political event to shake up the whole game this year. It's hard to imagine it being topped this year. Uh, Circle of Two effectively out of zero, of zero, zero. Not due to any kind of military loss, but due to a betrayal. By CSM member, alliance leader, head dip, well, not not official alliance leader, but basically head diplomat, one of the top guys, the judge. Uh, Screw them. Like, unbelievably hard. Not quite uh, Bob-level screw job, but pretty bad. If anything, this is probably worse than a Bob-level screw job, to be perfectly honest. Why is that? I mean, if you, if you, I assume you're referring to Hargoth. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, when Hargoth got, um, flipped, all that really happened was that Bob changed its name to IT and the war continued for uh, another couple of years. We like to talk about that as if it was the pivotal moment, the thing that killed Bob forever, but that's blatantly not true. It lost them that war, but it didn't delete Bob from the game. This, like, Judgment Day effectively has deleted CO2 as an entire entity. Well, no, it literally did delete Bob from the game. Like, took the Alliance name. Right, that's that's way Bob. worse. It deleted Bob the, like, the, the Alliance, but the group itself remained relatively intact and reformed as IT Alliance shortly after. I was, no, they reformed as, like, Kenzuku or something, and then they changed to IT later. You know, the, the war kept going. It's not like here, where CO2 now is not a thing. There is no, like, reincarnation of CO2. CO2 is deader than dirt. It's, so it's the actual mechanics of what... In the sea of Sorry, I didn't uh, cut you off. No, I'm just, just making you know, grand allusions to how dead it was. So, uh, you have inside word that there's not going to be any attempt to keep it going in some form or fashion? I was under the impression that opinions on that were split within the Alliance itself. I'm tell you right now that, like, almost every corp that's worth a damn is moving to different Alliances. Rip. Um, yeah, it's... You know... It's done. Without GigX, there is no CO2. Well, the mechanics of what happened is uh, apparently the judge was flipped, convinced to leave, and in doing so, 
pretty much screw them in the worst way possible. Um, transferred their basically their staging Keepstar, which is worth about three Titans and had the entire Alliance's fighting materials. Just like basically wouldn't allow them to dock at it anymore. Got hell camped by tests, hell camped by goons. Uh, all their uh, essential assets were transferred over to one of those two groups. Um, oh, it was just bad. I think he stole about a trillion isk as well on top of that, so cleaned out the Alliance wallet. Well, uh, if you guys remember, there was a Dreadwhelp shortly before that, the XWY, I believe it was, Massacre. Mm-hmm. And um, as a result of that, you know, there was a huge build to put more dreads on the SRP contracts that were obviously headed, uh, made by the Alliance. So he also cancelled all of those contracts and took all those dreads for himself. So he now has a massive dread fleet alongside, you know, the the trillion or so liquid disc he managed to steal. Whew. So we're probably looking north of 1.5 trillion, roughly, in the spoilers. And uh, is there any official word on what he sold the keep star for? I believe it was just the cost of the keep. Okay, so uh, we're looking more like 1.8-ish. Something like that. God damn. Not the the largest theft slash scam in EVE history. I think it is the largest. It's the largest by raw ISK value, but if you go by, like, adjusted for inflation ISK value, the stealing of the Federate uh, the Megathorn Federate issue is probably the, the biggest. Mm. Wouldn't uh, the Eve Bank be the biggest? Uh, maybe. That was well over a trillion. Well, That's well true, over a trillion. I mean, you know, if you think about how much a State Raven costs, and there's four of those, the Federate issue is probably the most expensive ship in the game. I'll say this. I mean, well, I would I would put the Eve Bank thing in as almost as a, a scam. As far as like a straight court theft. I think this would be up there. Yeah. In terms of straight thefts, this is either like number one or like it's top three. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's not all to the story. In addition to the devastating betrayal from Judge, uh, who is now part of Goonswarm, I believe. Um, you know, they weren't able to dock into their stuff. They lost a lot of good ships. People you know, undocking, not realizing what had happened, being killed, people trying to run the hell camp and being killed, uh, basically facing the entire alliance's assets, having to go through asset safety, which they would have to pay a percentage to get back, and it would be all the way to OSEC. The alliance leader, Gigex, a Serbian gentleman, logged on to find that this had happened. He basically woke up and was greeted with the news. While this was all happening, the judge was streaming their alliance chat for the content of everybody freaking out and getting mad. Perfectly legit. Gigex came on and proceeded to explode. Quite understandably, but well beyond the pale of what is acceptable. Uh, threatened Gigex's life and his hands, quite famously. The judge, not the not the Excuse me, uh, Gigex threatened the judge's hands and his life. Um, somewhat credible because, uh, as Gigex would later describe at their alliance meeting, he had access to his real-life address and such. Uh, and just generally, CSM members are somewhat more susceptible to that kind of thing because their identities are public. Uh, that's not true. 
Uh, oh, is that not true anymore? No published fight. Oh. Um, well, back in my day. <laughs> back in your day. Um, yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that this was, you know, not just a heat of the moment thing either, which I think is important to establish for people who are just coming into this. It wasn't like, you know, he made one remark. Um, oh, he kept going about, for a while. No, it was around, you know, five or six hours of continued abuse. Um, specifically, there was direct threats that he would be attacked at um, real-life meets, which for me is where he really crossed the line from like a, okay, have a 30-day ban, calm the fuck down, to, okay, that's that's really unacceptable in terms of things. You know, the, the second you stop bringing threats of violence to a real-life event, uh, you know, that's incredibly damaging to that event just from CCP's standpoint. And, because it, you know, uh, from the community standpoint as well, regardless yeah. of if you like Gigex, like that's just not behavior we can be okay with. If you make uh, you know, a, a threat to someone, uh, it's real life safety, and then you specifically say you're going to come to an event and do bad things to them, if they see you at that event, they would be kind of, they would be almost justified in taking, you know, any violent action that they deemed necessary as self-defense, and, you know, that's that creates a violent atmosphere at the event, and that's something that I think we all would like to avoid. But still, you know, an indefinite ban is kind of rough. I, I feel like it should have been a year ban, maybe six months. But that's my personal opinion. Well, indefinite doesn't mean permanent. It just means, you know, indefinite. <laughs> There's no definite end. It could wind up being a year, it could wind up being less. Um... I, mean, I you know, say that, but I gotta be that... careful how I step in here because this is sort of my my role for Twitch as well, being on the other end of it. Um, I I would imagine that CCP's community and moderation department weighed what happened, GigX's history, and probably communications they've had with him back and forth to decide what was appropriate and and what wasn't. Um, so. Given this, given the severity of what happened, I think they were absolutely justified in doing the ban. Uh, as to the length, you know, that depends on a lot of information that I don't have access to, but certainly those are the things that I imagine they are weighing. Given the amount of effort they have had to put into uh, refuting, I don't know, attempts to argue that the ban was unjustified, I would be extremely surprised if at any point in the future GigX was unbanned. Like, the the meme, the Matani with the hat at FanFest. Like, the fact that that was everywhere on the forums, the new forums, the Eve Reddit for so long. The fact that they have indeed changed their actions relative to how they acted in the past, and this is a keystone in that. I would be amazed if the permanent ban were reduced. Like, I just don't see it being possible without anybody in the future being permabanned and sloughing it off saying, oh yeah, sure, permanent quote-unquote ban. Well, it kind of goes into his attitude and uh, you know his, his history. I've heard some talk that this wasn't the first time that he's run afoul of CCP for this kind of thing. Uh, like threatening language in general. So if that were true, 
then that could definitely be a factor in whether or not the ban is is extended or not. Um, could also be they're just. I mean, it could very well be that they're just now not wanting to take any chances because of how the climate is in terms of culture around online harassment, threats, threats, and bullying and that kind of thing. Um, I think it's more likely the former, or perhaps they had exchanges with him where he, you know, didn't seem credibly remorseful. I mean, I've heard an alliance meeting where it, it certainly seems like he understand understood what was going on and how that was really bad. But if he also has a history of doing this in other cases, then, you know, okay, you're, you're sorry, but you're not changing your behavior. So that could be a factor in it. We don't know when we may never know. I think that's the unfortunate truth of it. You know, we can only speculate and, you know, go off of public information but I suspect there's a great deal of non-public information which is being factored into CCP's decision to keep him permanently banned. Yeah, I would like to ask you this, uh, and maybe this is something you can't say, but when a CSM member engages in perfectly legitimate but still unscrupulous EVE activity, like, for instance, a gigantic corp theft like that. Um, does it impact how you work with them on the council? Mm, not particularly. Like, there's this whole narrative going on about how, you know, you shouldn't metagame at Summit. Mm, I guess I agree on that. I, I agree to that to, like, the tiniest of degrees. Like, you know, it'd be pretty fucking shitty if someone, like, stole your fucking laptop. Uh, at the CSM summit and like stole Louis shit, but um, I mean I don't know what people thought we talked about when uh when we're drinking, you know we're we're talking about Eve. Eve Online is kind of why we're there. We're all Eve nerds. We're gonna talk about Eve Online. Some of that talk is inevitably going to be, you know, how do you see the meta game right now? You know, what moves are you looking at? What what things are you considering? We're fairly open about it, you know, we're not gonna leak like hard intel or anything, but we'll we'll discuss stuff. And sometimes someone realizes that their uh their position is very unenviable. More speaking in terms of the, the trust factor. Like another I'm not taking this position, I'm just putting it to you because it's something I've heard people discuss and Certainly, it was an issue with um, people that you, that crossed this line in a clearly help. illegal way, like Larconis Trassler, who uh, took ND8 information and used it to insider trade. That's a little different. Um, but when you have someone that betrays a high level position like that, do you think it makes them more difficult in terms of voter trust and voter confidence that they can do their job? And does that, you know, impact the council in any tangible way? Um, that's a very difficult question, but I'd, you know, I'd say it doesn't really impact the internal workings of the council, but it's, you know, likely to impact the next election. You know, people are gonna probably lose a bit more, bit, bit of faith in the CSM, or at least the people who voted for the judge are likely to be kind of disillusioned with the process to a degree. 
wouldn't surprise me. I don't know, like... At the end of the I day, didn't... he's a good CSM. He's going to continue being a good CSM. I don't really have anything more I can say about it. Yeah, like, him being willing to betray CO2, or more specifically GIGX, because he didn't like some choices that GIGX made, or whatever, don't necessarily mean that he would be willing to make EVE a bad game and not represent the will of the community as he works with CCP to keep them accountable to the player base and to provide them feedback on emerging ideas or whatever it is we say that CSM does. Like, I didn't vote for the judge for CSM, but I wouldn't not vote for him in the future if I had reason to because of his theft. Uh, one thing I think it speaks to is that it's sort of a warning bell to people. Like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be constantly voting along your alliance's lines. Like, I I think it's entirely reasonable that a good deal of CO2 probably put him as their number one choice, and probably a lot of the Legacy Coalition also included him in their ballot. Did you do that because you examined his performance? Did you just do that because you had his alliance ticker on? You know? I feel like a lot of people, and Sword Dragon was also sort of involved in this when he got elected on the back of Tess's voting block and then hopped off about halfway through the term. And it's, it's not the healthiest thing. Um, I think it's a problem, I've said this before, that it'll probably naturally go away as a more and more percentage of the EVE population votes. You'll be less likely to be able to get a CSM seat just on the back of your alliance voting as a block. But there's no need to necessarily wait for that. Now, you should think critically about who you're voting for, regardless of whether they're in your alliance or even your alliance leader. Yeah, I mean, generally, big blocks have always put mostly okay people on the CSM. You know, CSM 10 was, and to a lesser extent, you know, CSM 9 were kind of where we saw that not happen. But we'll see, I guess. I, I, I don't want to predict too much uh, what's going gonna, gonna happen going forwards with the CSM. I just hope that we see some more uh, non-block representation on there. I think that would be healthy at this point. Yep. If only to, if only to rekindle people's kind of interest in the CSM. I mean, I will say the blocks haven't done that bad. And during the modern CSM, from like 4 or 5 onward, um, most block candidates have come through. Uh, there's always a few that don't. Um, but I like that CCP is a little more firm about inactivity and making sure that the CSM is active and robust. I think that's definitely helped solve. Not solve, but definitely helped mitigate a lot of the concerns around block voting for me. Back in the early days, it was not uncommon to just get elected on the back of your block and then not really do much. Uh, famously, the goon representatives from CSM4 did nothing, like literally nothing. I don't think they attended a single meeting, contributed a single post until the summit when they were actually like two of the more valuable people at the summit in terms of making sure that was productive, which is really weird setup. Um, but, you know, if not for the summit, it would have been like, where are these guys? They got elected. What are they doing? Um, I think the block 
candidates that get elected now are much, much more engaged than they were five years ago. Or, um, yeah, let's say five years is a decent benchmark. And CSM 7 was brutal in terms of inactivity, so say CSM 8 onwards. Yeah, you know. I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping yeah, I've only got one summit left, so. You know, yep. from here on out, Make just, it count. Uh, yeah, it's just getting everything I want to say out there and smoking a pipe as I watch CSM 13 inevitably suck because it's the <laughs> unluckiest number. <laughs> well, speaking of unlucky, the Circle of Two line members were sure out of luck at the back end of Judgment Day. They were stranded with all their stuff about to be processed through asset safety and would cost a ridiculous amount of money to recover. Uh, they were personally trapped, having to get potted out or jump cloned out. They couldn't move any of their shit. Uh, and lost all their structures, lost their place in zero zero, lost their alliance leader, lost their, like, essentially his right hand and the judge. Um, luckily, Test Alliance took pity on their fallen brothers and said that, hey, uh, we have the station now. We are going to allow people to recover their assets and get them exported safely back to HiSec without you having to pay the asset delivery fee. So they basically made this huge post on Reddit with, from, from ProGod saying, hey, just let us know. Uh, we'll help you move. We've set up a Fortizar chain for you to go into HiSec. Um, we'll, just, we'll help you evac. You don't have to pay the asset safety costs which is widely hailed as a very nice move from test. Uh, they basically get all the benefits of winning the war against CO2 instantly without any of the PR negatives because they're helping out the line members and minimizing the impact on them. I imagine they're also recruiting a good deal of these people as well. Yeah, I think it's likely that Tess is going to win the uh, poaching Olympics. Especially considering how friendly the two were. Like, even on the onset of this war, a lot of posts on Reddit went around, and certainly the sentiment seemed to be that the line members were not content to shoot each other or to speak bad about each other because they knew each other from having just then worked together. So, previous relationships certainly strengthen the prospects. Now, we have an interesting exclusive angle on the particular events from Mercenary Coalition. Artemis, would you like to go into what you've been authorized to say about MC's hidden role in this whole thing? Or almost role? Yeah, almost is the key word there. Um, there was a post on Reddit a while ago that MC and PL were both approached to and were going to be hired by CO2 to fight in their war. I don't know about PL, but this was certainly the case for MC. Um, we were literally hours from pinging the Alliance from packing up all our stuff and moving down there, which typically would have taken less than 48 hours, and starting to fight the Blue Donut War on the side of CO2 Tri and Fraternity. Uh, unlike some have speculated, we wouldn't have been staging out of a CO2 structure. That's just, that's not how it works, folks. I don't know if you realize how structures work. Um, 
we also like we had all of the citadels that we needed in a route between where we are currently staging in citadel all the way down to the south all of that was set up fully fueled ready to run everything was good to go we were literally hours from pressing the go button and moving down to help them when this thing happened and we were going to get paid as well so i don't want to sit here and um pretend like mc has been hit woe is us because we lost out on a contract but i'm certainly glad that it happened before we moved because if we'd had to spend all the money on fuel and other various expenses with deploying a full-size alliance across eve that would have sucked to then not get paid <laughs> So where does MC stand now? Are you guys looking for another contract? Are you taking a vacation? Are you going to deploy down there for the lulls? I mean, we're we're not really in much of a different spot. We've always got a bunch of sort of smaller, less Reddit post-worthy contracts that are going around behind the scenes. Some of them we do, some of them we don't. Uh, we were just in Syndicate for the last, like, 10 days, where in the space of 10 days, we did what took the initiative an entire month to do, even though they were completely uncontested. So, like, everything that NC wanted to have back, like all the moons that they cared to get, they're theirs now. All of the initiative structures that we didn't like, which is basically we made a spreadsheet, we picked, huh, I don't like this one, it looked at me funny one day. We decided to delete all of those, uh, spectacularly the XTechM staging Fortisar for initiative is now dead. A couple of very disappointing lack of fights from that one. But over the space of 10 days, we completely undid all their progress. During that, we didn't really do any other contracts, but typical mercenary work, protection, destruction of citadels is very common. We're going to see what happens when Lifeblood comes out. That'll probably bring some new styles of contracts, which will come up. But overall, it just means we don't have one big giant thing to focus on. We can just do little stuff here and there and generally enjoy our time. It's interesting because a lot of people, as soon as the war broke out, wanted to go down and fight. They wanted to go down there, they wanted to just fight even if we weren't getting paid, because hey, there's a war going on at EVE, let's go join in on the fun. And now they're not complaining anymore, because <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't have had that much fun, and we would have wasted a whole lot of jump fatigue getting down there. From what I understand, the meta was kind of shifting towards... Um like either Pandemic Legion or Guardians of the Galaxy or yourself would have been hired by uh, the uh, un unnamed coalition side. I mean, that was the impression I was getting, is that there would, there would be no reason for CO2 to hang on there and not regroup with Tri unless they had outside forces coming, because it's really hard for outside forces to get to Tri's space reasonably. So, you know, we basically missed out on was probably going to be, you know, the biggest war of the year. Yeah, I think realistically, you probably missed out on what could have been the biggest war of the year. Because if EL gets involved, then goons necessarily have to get involved. And we have this kind of weird rematch of goons versus PL, but with 
been allies on both sides. I imagine goons would have shacked up with Tess. So you'd have had this goon test DRF mob fighting PL and try and CO2. Would have been very interesting. Yeah, the DRF siding with goons plus Tess would have made it quite the show. Because then there would not have been cases like there have been in recent conflicts where PL and friends would have been able to outnumber goons and friends even when goons and Tess are allied. So then it would really be up to how much ISK can PL and C and friends commit to the field to counterbalance the sheer number of players that is combined within Test, Goonswarm, and the Drone Region Federation. I think it would have been more a question of which sides were going to commit their supers to it, and that's most likely going to be Goons. Like, I think, I think Goons had always positioned themselves in a way that they were better able to control the South than PL. You know, they were try- PL seemed like they were trying to do it through the DRF, but that didn't work out for them to, because the DRF is, you know, kind of this weirdly neutral entity in the game at this point. They do exactly what they need to so to secure their borders and pretty much nothing else. Like Eve China. Um, yeah, I guess. But they're also, they're a really interesting, like, I, I, one day I'd love to like talk to a bunch of DRF people and kind of get an idea of the internal workings of the, DR, the DRF because it seems like there's this weird like I don't know how to put it like there's sub-coalitions within the DRF as a whole it's really weird well the DRF is a massive entity which controls huge swaths of space so there's got to be lots of regional concern yeah, but you think, you know, I've never seen a, a great grand coalition like DRF where you have, you know, the DRF, but that also consists of named sub coalitions like the Gem Coalition, uh, you know, like the B Team Coalition, as we occasionally call the, um, God, I can't even remember where they, but there's, you know, there's a section there. Then we've got Phoenix Foundation, they're part of the DRF, but they're also their own independent sub entity. It, you know, you've got lords still inside them. It's it's crazy. At least to me. I was really looking forward to shoot at them when the moon reshuffle was announced and the faction stations were going to be turned into faction citadels, which were presumably going to be very expensive. I was really hoping that MC would get hired by somebody to go out and take over some DRF space because looked like it was something that would be relatively undefended, presuming that a number of other people did the same. And I wanted to fight him to see how it would go. (laughs) It's one of those things where I think with the DRF, because they stay out of everybody else's business, nobody has a grudge against them. And so if you see somebody going and shooting at the DRF, you don't take it as an excuse to go and shoot at the DRF with them. They've actually sense? been pretty meticulous with their diplomacy and making sure they're actually friends with everybody involved. They have no, like, in terms of the galactic meta scale, they have no real enemy. Um, they've always been tight with the goons. Um, they've been pretty tight with PL since um, you know, the whole the whole Bot Accord era. Um, they've forged a pretty nice working relationship. 
Uh, they definitely maximize or have maximized their presence in the CSM to make sure that relationships have been, you know, pretty stable and robust. What are you saying? The, D- the DRF presence in the CSM? They have had, yeah. Like, XDEF yeah, has not been on the CSM a whole bunch, and while he was there, one of the main things he did was ensure good personal relationships with the leaders of other alliances. Mm-hmm. Like, we definitely worked the opportunity to meet them in real life pretty heavily. Um, and I'm sure they've continued to do that at a couple different levels at various meetups around the world. Yeah, yeah. It was fun to be, by the way, uh, something, I don't know if you've watched Talking in Stations episode on the whole thing. I really would recommend it because it's got the uh, Arif, the kind of guy who uh, handled the judge and set this all up. He probably has the best view on it of anyone. And I did find it amusing. He think he uh, pointed to me as the second soft target that they were considering trying to flip. I find that mildly amusing. Well, you don't have much power to do much in CBA, though. Like, what would they do? Oh, get? damn, Artemis. Come on, don't say that. Jin, Jin himself has described his political machinations as underwhelming. <laughs> I mean, like, re- realistically, I could probably start a coup and take over CBA just through military power, but that's not something I want to do. Come on, Aerith, let's make it happen. Coup Boy is 2018, let's go. I I do honestly think that a, a Pravi Block coalition led by Yugen would be far more interesting than anything they've done in the past decade. Sadly, interesting does not always mean better. Mm, I think it would in this case. <laughs> well, I mean, thank you for stroking my ego. I appreciate it. Let's let's be real, and I I think even inside in your your heart of hearts, Ian, you would agree to this that the Pravi Block administration and leadership as a whole is really not that great. Uh, you've got some very entrenched old hands with old ways of thinking that frankly weren't even that great back in the day that have kept on to power through essentially super rigid bureaucracy and uh, has kept not just you, Ian, but but other leaders, uh, some of whom I've met at Eve Down Under, he knows who he is, uh, have kept you guys sort of in the backseat and the in the backgrounds doing relatively menial tasks instead of allowing you guys to really come up in the ranks and be the leadership that frankly probably block needs. And the whole reason Providence still exists is because you know, aside from AAA that one time, no one really feels like evicting you guys. That's it's kind of allowed a suboptimal leadership structure to continue to exist far past its expiration date. Yeah, you know, I I think uh, at this point I've just come to terms with the fact that you know, I you know, I want to leave Providence at peace with what it is, not what I, you know, maybe would like it to be. You know, no matter, you know, what time that might be. If it's, you know, a year from now or two years from now or ten years from now. I tell you what, Jin, when you plan on making your coup, just give me like a month's heads up so I can move <laughs> all of my neutral ratting ults out of there. 
<laughs> do that, then we can maybe work on getting you some help. Uh, it's not happening. That's just not the kind of person I am. But it's the kind of person you could be. And it's the kind of person other people apparently think you are. Or would at least like you to believe. We would like to believe you could be this. Realistically, I think Aerith just mistakes, um, you know, being a good person for being weak. Ooh. Oh, wow. Shots fired. No, that's not in a, like, a, he's a terrible person kind of way, because he's a genuinely nice guy, great to hang around with. But I think he's not used to the very English, you know, English mentality that I have of, you know, trying to look out for people and not wanting to step on anyone's toes and being, you know, very stereotypically British. I think he uh, would see that as a weakness rather than, you know, what I see it as, which is just, you know, the way I am. Speaking of the way folks are, try are weird. They're try still fighting weird. this war. Try, they also dissolved their coalition in the middle of the war. <laughs> I mean, that's that's something to talk about in itself. Vanguard Coalition is dead. It's now just Triumvirate. Do you have any insight on that? Because I, I heard about it, but I didn't really have the opportunity to dig deep because everything's been going on. Um, effectively, Stella Nova were the only other alliance left to try, and Stella Nova from what I understand, want to go do other things. Uh, so Try has basically said, all right, well, coalition, our attempt at having a coalition is over. We didn't like it. Um, we're not going to do that again. Vanguard Coalition is dead. So they're going to go back to being on their own, basically. Here's a question. Um, the inciting incident, if you will, for this war was CO2's actions in Faith of Ballas against FCON, right? Because uh, kind of the war has for been going on in. for a long time between Vanguard Coalition and FCON prior to that. Like it, it, it was a war that got piled onto, and that piling on had its own political and diplomatic problems. Hmm. If that makes any sense. I'm just sort of questioning how much, if any, Test is going to be willing to commit to continue to fight against Try. Like, because now they've suddenly got a whole bunch more space, literal space, that they've got to deal with distributing between their coalition. They've got to sort out what they're going to do with newcomers from CO2 or dealing with getting all the old CO2 folks out. And sure, tries attacking DRF, and they have an agreement with DRF that they're going to have. But it's just try. Do we really think try is going to overthrow the DRF from out in the middle of nowhere? I don't know. It'll really depend on. I mean, try are fantastic dudes, but. But they're, they're kind of facing a pretty bloody struggle here. Um, and yeah, I think that they, that's one of the reasons why I haven't done another update is I want to see what Legacy Coalition does before I uh, make my next video because it's going to be so critical to telling mm -hmm. us what's going to happen going forwards 
like they they do have a couple of plans. They sorry, they have a couple of options as I see it in front of them. You know, they can uh, follow along the DRF's path. They can follow along with their you know the exact word of their treaties, or they have the option of just saying, "Hey, you know, we've we've done pretty much everything. You know, these guys are just inside." In between you and your other allies, you should be able to crush these people, no problem. Uh, I, mean, I think they've got a little breathing room, um, if nothing yeah. else, because of the shakeup of Sia 2 that was so dramatic and so sweeping. There's probably not going to be any pressure or expectation for them to actively join in for at least a little bit. So that kind of helps them. I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely rough for, in terms of their path forward. Because like, if they do deploy against Tri now, it's kind of like, especially since Tri dissolved the coalition, it's like kind of kicking. You're, you're punching down. You're punching way down, right? Yeah. I don't think they... I think the the real question will just be, is it worth like what would test get out of going and doing that deployment you know we know what they were going to get out of this which is that they would be able to take impasse and impasse is probably one of the best regions right now in the game realistically if you want a, a crabbing region impasse is one of the better ones out there mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah and that looks like that's going to brave which you just can't speculate because we don't know not only that, not only do we not know what decisions Tess might net take, we also don't know who is holding the reins within Tess at the current moment. You know, is Progard taking the reins? Does Vili have the reins? Does Sapporo have the reins? Who, who's mm. running this show? And that's been a consistent problem with Tess for, I think, past, uh, past couple of months, at least from an outside perspective, is that we don't really know who's running it. At least from a uh, outside perspective, you know who's who's making decisions, who's dancing to whose tune. Yeah, that definitely complicates things. We'll sort of have an idea pretty soon, though. Like you yeah. can't stay in a holding pattern forever. I mean, I don't think they're in a holding pattern anyway. Like they. They just acquired, you know, the biggest amount of space that you ever could, the cheapest cost you're ever going to get space for. That's definitely not a holding pattern. The question is, do they want to go for more, or do they want to take what they've got and uh, walk away from the table? Any final thoughts, guys? Try dudes are going to be having a blast. Oh yeah, try, <laughs> I mean, try this is literally what they love to do—just fight outnumbered. Like, and now they're on their own home turf. I predict we're going to see a lot of hundred MN healers. That certainly seems reasonable. Alright. For being kind of quiet by the way, but you know, it is 1 a.m. and uh, my everyone else in this house is sleeping. Oh, no worries. Let's move on to the CSM minutes. I got stuff.
Oh boy, this is this is going to be a long one, isn't it? It might be. We'll see. Uh, so first point, I'm going to go point by point right down the dock on the roadmap situation. Very um, disappointed. Very, very disappointed. I, I'm not that disappointed because to be disappointed would imply I had differing and higher expectations, which I did not. However, I will say this as a point of feedback for the CSM. It would be great if in these cases where something really important is NDA'd such that there are no minutes about it, essentially, um, it would be good to have some kind of CSM sentiment involved. Uh, the CSM was mildly amused. The CSM had a lot of questions and will continue to engage. The CSM was impressed, that kind of thing. I think in general we stay away from doing that because it comes off as super markety, like market speak, for no real reason. Um, but in general, the main thing that we were talking about there is that we wanted CCP to discuss the roadmap with the player base more. And obviously, judging by the fact that it was NDA, they disagree. I mean, it would only come off markety if it was all positive, which I think you guys should have the option to say not positive things if you don't feel like they're warranted. Oh, trust me, we say not positive things a lot. So it could be like CSM was concerned, but we'll continue to mm -hmm. talk to CSM about a lot, it. A lot of like that. why the CSM is good, and especially you know how the CSM gets uh, recognition within the community as a result of the minutes, is because we can project nuance, because we can talk about the little details that matter a lot more to people who know about that space or about that mechanic. So, I, you know, I, I feel like it would devalue the CSM to some degree to just have, like, this bland, like, two-sentence two summary of, like, what everyone thought about it. But I mean, you, you're devaluing it from, like, having no comment whatsoever. I'd which... rather have no comment and then have the four minutes come out some other, some point later. Was that an option? Yeah, I mean, that's what's happened um, with, like, CSM 11 Summit, uh, summit Minutes. is As more things have become released, uh, more of our minutes have been unendigated put out there. I, it's not particularly well publicized, but it happens. So you're saying that will happen here, or you'd like it to happen here? I'd like it to happen here, but that's, at the end of the day, not up to me. Gotcha. I, I will be pushing for it, though, very heavily. I would like, you know, I, I feel like we've gone far too long without talking about the roadmap for EVE Online. I think people are worried about the future of EVE because they feel like there isn't a vision from the CCP talking to the player base and engaging them like here's what we want to work towards here's why things are slow right now here's what we want to do in six months time here's what we're going to be here's what we want to be in a year's time here's what this is all going to be build up to people want that am i wrong in thinking like that kind of conversations happened already like two or three major events with almost the same slideshow yeah that's i mean that doesn't surprise me i mean it's all been working from the same plan pretty much you know, we're starting to get to the end of that and CCP isn't talking to the player base about it. There's no real development communication. And some of that is just from CCP in general, not quite knowing what they're doing sometimes, which is always disheartening. But I think a large degree of it is just because they aren't 
quite sure what they want to communicate and they want to manage expectations. Well, I, I guess. I don't think they're nearing the end as far yeah, as I know. I mean, we're still not even anywhere close to talking about the player-built Stargates, let alone to where they would go to. Are we not? I, I don't think so. Like, we're hitting, I would say, probably the midpoint where we're finally getting to remove bosses. But that patch isn't even out yet, so. I mean, do you not think we're getting, like, all we've got now is mobility, really. That's the only major function of uh, puzzles that we haven't touched yet. I mean, you've got a lot of minor ones, definitely, but. No, I mean, we're, we're going to... They've said that we're going to get rid of costs, finally, sometime in winter, I which mean, is like, great. Yeah, but... But then there's so much more that passes can't do that they've said that they want to have structures to do. Observation arrays, stargates, that kind of thing. I think observation arrays is probably a lot longer out than it was maybe originally presented. Oh, really? Just, yeah. I mean... I think they'll want to replace the existing ship before they uh, in, into the new ship. Yeah, no doubt. But hey. But like I said, they haven't even gotten done replacing the existing ship yet, so I don't know why you would say that we're near the end. I, I feel like, like, okay, so we get refineries out. What other major functions are there? That's that's the kind of. Oh, we're there. near the end of passes. I'm agreeing with you, but that's not. Yeah, yeah. The, like, so that's I, not I, the I'm end of the CCP roadmap that I've been seeing at FanFest and stuff. Yeah. I, we're still on that roadmap, but like that roadmap when it was created was a was considered a short roadmap and it was supposed to be two years. You know, we're three years into it at this point. Um, you know, what comes next really? Even if that two year roadmap takes four years and everything on it gets implemented or most of it gets implemented, uh, you know, what's what's next after that? What where where do they want to take you online? After, you know, we take the fucking spooky Stargates of Freedom to, you know, wherever they go to, if they that's go like, anywhere. That's like speculating on, on Avengers 3 before Avengers 2 has even been released, though. Like, why bother? That, but it's... I, don't I mean, yeah, like, well, not why I bother, because like I guess it could be fun, but, like, base. can you seriously have that as a downside when, like, if you think about this in terms of films, like, we've just gotten through the first one, the second one's about to be released in, like, let's say three months, and we're getting teaser trailers and, and animated shorts and stuff right now, but the actual big thing's going to be released you know, in a little bit, um, one to three months, let's say, and then, like, we're already saying, yeah, but what are they going to do with Avengers 3? Like, how, how could they possibly change direction? What happens to the MCU after that? It's good to idly speculate, but to actually be upset about it seems strange. Although, we do have more info than we do, so maybe there really isn't any roadmap beyond the roadmap. I mean, I'm very deliberately trying not to uh, speculate too hard here, but, you know, I want to know, kind of, I feel like there's a perception within the community that that CCP doesn't really have a plan for EVE beyond, like, a year or two. And I would like CCP to prove them wrong. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm less concerned about Eve's feature development plan than I am about Eve's growth plan. I'd like to see more about that. 
that's something I think they have not talked about in years. Uh, and with how alphas have kind of fizzled now, uh, I think it's a conversation that they need to start back up. Didn't they say at one point that they specifically weren't making a big recruitment push as a result of alphas because they wanted to make sure everything worked? Am I insane, or did that happen? That was something they said originally, yeah. So do we know, are they confident or comfortable with how alphas are doing, and therefore That's are considering? That's going to be NDA, unfortunately. Hmm. When they put out that roadmap, the updated roadmap, and feedback for the CSM, I would like it to not just be features. I'd also like more elements of the business included as well. That's all. Okay. You know, to understand at what what point they think the game will be tooled back up enough to do a bigger recruitment push, for instance. Uh, Factor in other monetization opportunities they're thinking about and where that might slot in. Um, Those those kinds of things. Because, yeah, player stargates, still awesome. Still want to see that. Uh, observation array is conceptually probably the most exciting thing about the whole structure revamp for me. Uh, very excited to hear when eventually they get discussed. Uh, but like, I don't really at this point it's so far out it feels so far out. I don't really care what's after that right now. But I would like to know that CSP is at least thinking about things of like when and how do we think the game is going to be ready for a big marketing push? I I no longer see like one year down the road as particularly far out like one year down the road or six months down the road feels short in terms of EVE development at this point I don't see it as a year out though it feels like it's two or three years out but I mean depends on what you're talking about what I'm talking about is like I guess the the point at which potters get you know uh, are almost completely uh, removed that's kind of the major next point. I think at that point, people know, you know, what CCP will be looking at to go next. They've talked about it very publicly. Mm-hmm. The question is, you know, what's the next step beyond that? We always had this feeling that we knew what CCP was going to do beyond the next step, you know. But I, I don't know. I still think they just need to put out some some more roadmap stuff and say, hey, you know, here's an update to the roadmap. Here's all the things we've worked on so far. Here's how they all build into it. You know, this took a little longer than we ex- we, expect- we initially expected, but hey ho, we're still working towards everything that we promised. I think that would be appreciated by the community. Maybe I'm reading the community wrong though. Well, I w- I wouldn't presume to speak for enough of the community to say. Personally, I'm that's not front of mind for me. I think yeah. the community would at least like some like cat pictures or a conciliatory recipe for Australian meatballs or something like you know. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, will say that when when the POS release comes out, plus the POSs are going away, I think it's a great opportunity to acknowledge that that's a huge milestone in the roadmap and to remind everybody what the roadmap is and where it's going. But I don't think I, I, it, I really it do itself think... is a signal that the roadmap is now insufficient in some way. I really do think that just getting the roadmap out there again is is, is important. You know, I, I talk to a lot of people 
on the forums, I talk to a lot of people who aren't as wired into the the greater meta game or the Eve media sphere as we are. And there is this like omnipresent fear that, you know, they don't know where the game's headed. They don't know about this roadmap because they haven't watched those fanfest presentations. Um, you know, they've been here for a year or so and they haven't seen the roadmap because it's not something CCD wants to talk about publicly. And I don't know why that is. But yeah. Fair enough. I uh, got a couple other points. Let's move on. Yeah, we 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 could talk about that perhaps. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, there's a, a point that all Eve teams, Eve development teams, are now incorporating monetization into their designs. I just had a point that that's really sounds really good. Uh, I don't think having one team focus on monetization features feels particularly organic, and now we'll have the potential to have, you know monetization concerns fit more naturally into more features. I think that's going to be good for CCP and it's going to be good for gameplay and it seems like it's going to free up development bandwidth for more projects. I'm still fairly hecking mad that they are uh, you know, they don't have a uh, dedicated person for balance. Didn't they, don't they have the balance team? Mm, go read the minutes. <sighs> Apparently the balance team doesn't actually do balancing. Which For is the weird. record, I am playing the part of the completely uninformed individual in this panel, ensuring that Alec explains things correctly. And I have not <laughs> yet read the minutes, so... I, I would say frustrating. Reading, the, reading the production minutes is probably the most... Like, they're probably the num- that's the number one one you should read. If you're going to read the minutes, go read the production thing. It will give you a bit more of an eye as to what how CCP is structured and kind of what they're doing and what their priorities are. Always the first thing I'm going to read whenever CSM 13 gets their first summit out, the production meeting will be the first one I read. It also tends to be the first uh, meeting of the summit, which is very interesting. I actually made a point that we should not have it be the first meeting of the summits from now on. It's just awful. It's quite a lot of... uh, Okay, I'm not going to go into that, actually. That's really, really yeah what we talk about but yeah just logistical stuff within the summits basically um so the balance team situation is a little it's a little weird they're a combination balance and new mechanics team which seems weird um it seems like they may at least attempt to address some severe balance concerns like they've mentioned a few ship classes they might take a look at that seems good, but yeah, not having... I don't think there should be a single person dedicated to balance, but that the team, that there's no individual or set of individual for whom this is their primary concern is a concern for me. But at least they're attempting something, and then we can just move them in the right direction in the future, hopefully. I think my uh, my opinions on the fact that CCB should balance more are well documented. I did have a comment. The judge added that the biggest issue people had with the removal of captain's quarters destroyed the hope of future development of walking in stations. And my comment was, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> Anyone that still thought that that was actually going to happen. What? Almost a decade later? 
Can not a chance. I would. I I really wouldn't put it past CCP to eventually look at doing something with CK. Yeah, but eventually the keyword there. Like we're talking five plus years. I I would I think my my personal view. I would be shocked if they do anything with it before then. Unless they contract it out to somebody. Like, get a third-party developer involved. I'd say it's more dependent on how soon VR becomes widely adopted. Right, because, like, a first-person view sitting inside your spaceship in EVE with a VR headset? Come on now. Talk about monetization. I think it's just uh, how long it's going to take them to add cat ears to the game to be perfect. To add what to the game? Cat ears. Just making a weird meme. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've got a comment that says, what the F does this mean? Uh, this is regarding to resource wars. Uh, CCP Affinity explained there was some disconnect when players were looking at career agents as players would graduate but then had to go back to school. Uh, what what did that mean? Origin was tutorial, and then you'd go on to the, uh, you know, the, the tutorial agents. We have the mission agents. And people would be like, wait, what the fuck? It was kind of like a lurch moment for them. They felt like, you know, hey, I finished school. Oh, wait, shit, I still have so much more to learn. And they want to make it, I guess, slightly more smooth. You know, give you an ounce of noob. So, are these resource wars complexes intended to replace beginner missions? Because it kind of seems like there's no point to having both. Uh, not really. They're just intended to be co-op PvE that teaches you the basics of everything just naturally because they're relatively low barrier to entry but they also scale up so that you can continue doing them and having fun if social PvE is sort of your thing. I mean, I don't know how much I can talk talk about CCP's intent really. I always dislike discussing that sort of thing because it feels very wrong. And the intent doesn't seem that far off but it, it's just weird. Like it's it's a weird place to stick PvE and to completely leave unaddressed what you plan on doing with the other kinds of PvE that it looks awfully a lot like, like incursions and missions. Well, the problem with ever-touching missions is that if you ever-touch missions in any way to change them, immediately you're going to lose a shitload of people who don't want missions to be changed. Because... That's a substantial amount of people who all they want to do in the game is just level up their raven. And, you know, we tend to forget that as EVE media people. But, you know, some percentage of the people just want to play EVE as a casual theme park MMO. And that, to a degree, finances the rest of the game. No, I, I totally get that. But why are we making this feature, then? I think it's, an int I think it's intended to just get those level up your raven kind of people I, I guess it's two-edged one is it feels to me like they're just trying to add some more pve to the game you know there's there's been this clamor for more pve people have talked about how there's a desire to revamp pve in general 
So here's some more PvE. Let's see how it does. Let's see how people react to it. And to a lesser extent, I think just adding more social PvE is something we all kind of recognize is is needed in the game. Maybe not for Pisic only stuff. I'd really liked it if it was in fucking Nullsec. So I could, like, go run some resource wars with my dudes. Obviously, then it'd have to not be complex, because holy shit, that would be broken as fuck. Not saying I want a safe place, you know, PvE and fucking Nullsec. That would be really lame. But yeah. Social PvE is good. It gets nerds working with other nerds, and nerds working with other nerds means people stay in the game longer. People staying in the game longer, CCP makes more money. CCP making more money means they can hire more dev people so they can make the game less shit. Yeah, I just don't see this doing any of that. It, it, you're basically putting belts behind gates and calling it a new feature. Essentially what it seems like. Yeah. I, like, we got to see how it is when it comes out realistically. Like, I'm not going to make a decision until I can play it. As uh, the CSM, I hope hopefully that's not the case. You should be able to play it and like, make a decision in time to give them feedback for developing. One would hope. Well, the the, the feedback we gave them more on the like the rewards and like what do new players need sort of side. Talking about, we went through basically a checklist of like everything a new player needs because that's something they want to have resource wars provide. Is this like soft tutorial as opposed to a hard tutorial. I, I, it's kind of a bit too late in the night for me to really sit down and break it down. I'm, I'm sure Affinity will release a blog at some point that does it vastly better than I can, considering it's her uh, her project video. Alright. Um... What's next? Uh, low second faction warfare. Uh, there, I made a comment about moons that I, I think are best left to when we talk about the moon mining, the feature. But essentially, uh, Yin. Oh, I will mention it because it, it is specifically Yin Tam brought up. People are feeling there's going to be a lot less strategic reason to fight in low sec with the changes to moon mining. Considering the changes to moon mining that they outline later in this doc, I could not agree with you more. Like, holy like, fuck, why would you take away the biggest conflict driver in the game? Well, welcome to, like, six months ago, Alec. It's nice knowing you. I mean, I was fine with, conceptually, like, maybe there would be reasons, particularly if the group that you are looking at that has the moon isn't in your time zone, and they're only, like, extracting the resources outside the time zone, or they're not extracting it at all. Realistically, uh, the real the real problem with it, beyond the fact that most you know, most low set groups right now don't really want to fucking mine. That's not their that's not their thing. Um, and you know, I'm a big believer in adapt or die to a degree. There, you don't want to mine, then you don't get the esque sucks to be you. The problem really comes down to the fact that it's still going to be using citadel mechanics, and I'm sure we'll get to it on the refineries. Uh, Citadel mechanics are still not conducive to content. Well, even if it wasn't, like, say you're Shadow Cartel, you don't want to mine, but maybe you'll hold the refinery so other people could mine, and you're, you know, theoretically you you're trying to get some of the money. The refinery 
amount of money that you get is super low, and there's nothing stopping someone from setting up another minery also in the system and just fucking moving all the minerals over there Whoa. or finding them somewhere else. Whoa, what? You're telling me yeah. that the, it's going to be system-wide, not moon-specific? So the the whole Lagrange point, your citadel has to be set up in this one spot, doesn't matter anymore? No, it'll still be that, but you only have to be there to extract the moon chunk. There's nothing saying that people can't take the stuff that they're mining from your mount, from your moon field and moving it to another refinery. Ah. Yeah, that's always been the way. Like, I don't know why you're just locking onto this. No, I'm just I'm just mentioning it as a thing. The other more crippling thing, I think, even more than that, is uh, apparently every moon will have valuable moon minerals. That's it's, not what they said, but okay. I mean, we'll get to it. I'm pretty sure it's exactly what they said. But yeah, it's... I'm pretty sure they said all moons will have minerals, not all moons will have valuable. So the market will dictate how valuable they are. That's, you know, how... Well, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But yes, it, it does seem like the strategic value of moons dropping considerably. Um, it's going to depend on the volumes. That's going to be the real, the real kicker here. Anyway, do we want to move uh, on from this topic? Yeah, we'll move on. We'll yeah, move on. We'll move on. Just trying to get. Uh, oh. Um, CSM asked if it would be possible to show where faction warfare combat was going on so people could find fights easily. Uh, seems like a role potentially for observation arrays. Like, where is active combat in the game? Kind of cool to know. Just throwing that one out there. Um, does the map not currently show which systems are contested under faction warfare? It does, but it's really fucking bad. Gotcha. It doesn't really tell you that much useful. Like, it, it... It's it's pretty atrocious for trying to find content. You're 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 literally still better off just doing the whole active players in space set destination hope for the best thing, which isn't ideal. I mean, it works, but it isn't ideal. Definitely room for improvement there. I did want to ask about open access. That was uh, clone states and open access is the name of one of the sessions. It's totally NDA'd. What the fuck is open access? Did I miss that blog, or is this something new? Yeah. I have never heard of it either, so I don't think it's something we're missing, Alec. I'm going to say NDA, and don't speculate on this, please, because otherwise I would have to leave the room. Well, it's your fault for titling a session, this. I didn't title a session, nothing. Just say Somebody titled if, a if, session. If you're going to speculate on this, I'm going to, like, I would rather not be here because this is NDA and, you know, it's not something I feel comfortable even listening to other people discuss at this point. All right, well, we'll not discuss it out of respect for you. lack of response could be taken as indication of certain things, and I don't want that to be the case. All right, well, we'll we'll not talk about it, but I will say that it's pretty shit to just throw this out there with no context, Uh, and I would strongly encourage CCP to maybe title their shit more carefully, or if they are going to put something in the title, at least give us enough to go on. Or just, you know, don't don't say that there was a meeting. It's not like we haven't done that before. 
Uh, Eve Economics, there's a reference to comparing the state of serenity to the state of tranquility. What is the state of serenity currently? Um, basically, they're saying you can't do that because you know there's legalized RMT and uh, by both the developer and the players themselves inside of serenity. So it's 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 never going to be an apt comparison to tranquility. Basically, oh, gotcha. Was was the was the Uh, reference to carrier and VNI ratting, of course. Uh, again, this was you. Many good points for me and Tan this meeting, of course. Um, for me, the big issue with the VNIs is not the VNI itself, but the unattended part of it. Uh, is there? I mean, I guess this is asking a, a huge NDA question, but I will do it anyway. Is there like a code issue behind why CCP doesn't want to touch drone aggro versus passive? Or is it a policy choice that they're making that they want to have auto-aggression drones? I think it's more of a we have bigger things to deal with right now issue than anything else. Like, that's not saying that CCP thinks it's a problem or anything. That's just, I don't think it's on CCP's problem radar right now. You know, maybe that'll change, but we'll have to see. But yeah, I'm a big fan of adding more kind of tackle to sites. Yes, I, I am as well. Like I wanted to plus one you on that one. If we're giving, you know, if we're making the whole game revolve around farms and fields, you might as well put a few thorns in fields. But mm. I'm sure my constituency would heavily disagree with me there, by the way, which is very fun. That's that's part of the game, I suppose. I mean, it's it's just more fun for the game. The issue with carriers is it is active gameplay which is good but they are so powerful in terms of their damage and the fact that they can fight totally aligned because of their range makes them a little broken and even if they are caught their hit points are such that you know they're all running with sinos now they pop a sino you can get some supers on top of you to save your ship and that exact same super group can make that jump a couple times a night uh, feels like jump fatigue is somewhat failing in that department as a feature. Um, I, I don't know if more jump fatigue is necessarily the exact way to go, but maybe a tweak to the algorithm or something to that degree. Um, but it, it feels like ratting carrier is too safe. Not because of the fact that they can make ISK without paying attention, which has definitely got fixed and needs to be fixed for the subcaps, but the fact that they can make so much ISK perfectly aligned uh, and even if they do get caught they have a pretty big safety button it's a little bit of an issue fair enough I, I think I would echo you most of those points a uh, comment from Aerith that I found kind of funny the introduction of new moon mining was an opportunity to shift players away from ratting by making it mining a lucrative activity it was like shifting combat players to mining I mean, it happened with the rule changes. I guess. I, I don't um, think that it's a true opportunity, though, as long as mining itself remains so in, uninteractive. Um. Yeah, that's that's quite possibly true. I I would I would agree that mining right now is not something that's super engaging as a as a way to make ISK. and that's kind of one of the things that hurts it. That's always been... Sorry if I issue. sounded super distracted there, by the way. I was just killing a Republic Fleet Firetail in my Imicus. Nice. nice. 
Yeah, it's always been an issue I've had with complaints about VNIs being you don't have to pay attention to them. Because, like, even back when I first started EVE and I joined some high-sec mining corp, there'd be the dudes who just set their retriever to mine out a rock and set an alarm on their phone and come back when it went off. It doesn't seem much different from somebody in a VNI hitting right-click orbit on that rock haven and then setting a timer and coming back, except the VNI has to do it in more dangerous space. Obviously, there's a... Uh, difference in income that's possible to acquire there, but there's also a difference in risk that's taken there. And nobody seems to be complaining about the lack of input in mining as an issue making mining a problem for the game. I, I complain about it frequently. Well, people complain about it being bad and boring, but they don't complain about it hurting the game like they complain about VNI ratting. I think it's because when VNIs rat, it results in ISK inflation. When people mine, it doesn't really fuck with the ISK flow in the game. Because you're you're getting minerals, you're not getting raw ISK. So it's it's less impactful in terms of inflation. Uh to a degree I think people are always gonna be happy when you have mineral inflation. Because mineral inflation means cheaper T one chips are the best chips. And people like flying them. That's probably some of the reason why you see, uh, you know, people uh, really singing the praises of those sort of things. That's just my perception, though. Yeah, fair points. Right. Skipping to refineries, the big one. Um, I just had a little point that it. Adding a 15-minute vulnerability timer to structures being anchored seems reasonable. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it was needed, desperately needed. And it'll be added to all structures, which is great. Here's the thing. CCP Fozzie also added that all moons in LOSEC and NELSEC will have resources, and that there will not be any moons in those areas that don't have anything. That seems like a big, big misstep because there are ridiculous numbers of moons in EVE, and if all of them have something mineable uh, why would you and, and, and especially in terms of how the and that it's not exclusive it doesn't even have to be refined in your in your refinery even if it is refined in your refinery you're not making that much money off of it uh and there's going to be so much abundance of resources, and the stuff that it's bringing up is not going to be pure of one thing. It's always going to be mixed. Uh, that seems to be how it's working on uh, on or singularity. So, like the way I read this is that this is like kind of the death of moons. Like between this and how the Citadel mechanics and refinery mechanics are going to work, the abundance. Plus the fact that you can't even get exclusive rights to the shit that you have essentially means the death of moons as a conflict driver, which means that I am now totally against this feature. I think I think we're going to see why top-down income was necessary for the game. 
long term, I think we're going to see where that was necessary. Why do you think it is necessary? And before we go into that, can we quickly define our terms, top-down income, how yeah, would we sure. describe it? So top-down income is that you have a, a single objective, uh, be that a moon um, or whatever, and that is what you are fighting for because it will give you a passive stream of bits, basically. You don't have to do anything to maintain apart from defend. I mean, yes, of course, running fucking reaction chains is a pain in the dick, but hey, it makes you money, so. And it's relatively, you know, you don't have to spend 10 hours doing it. You spend, you know, three hours setting it up, and you hate your fucking life, but, it, you know, then you don't have to do anything for another four weeks, and it's pretty nice. You make good passive risk. Uh, I, I think that with, with the worth of conquering stuff, becoming more fuzzy, it disincentivizes basically aggression. That that's my perception on the the direction the game's taking at least. And I'm you know, I'm not mad about it. I, it's not the kind of thing I would get up in arms about. It's just not the way I would take Eve online and I will you know, do everything I can to remind CCP of that of the fact they are taking away opportunities for people to uh, fight one another effectively. Yeah, man, I have a difficult time articulating why I would ever try to take down somebody's refinery if I could if I could just mine their shit anyway if they weren't around or just put my own down somewhere else for the exact same or relatively the same amount of money. Why would I even want to put down my own refinery on something if I don't? Well, I, I believe the plan it's strange. Be that you time it so that it comes out in a time where you're active and you hoover it all up and then you leave. Like, that's that to me is what it seems like. But if people just leave, leave shit laying around for like a couple of hours, it's going to start getting picked pretty quickly. Eh. Like, I, I, so basically, it means like you have to personally mine it. It's not going to be a viable business model to just break rocks and have other people come in and sweep it up because they don't even have to refine your refinery to to do it. If, if you're running a large scale alliance, thanks to the mining ledger, it probably is. But you know, I, I, by the way, whenever people say fucking the CSM does nothing, I would like to remind everyone that. Without us, the mining ledger would not exist. It was not something CCP had considered or wanted to do. Would you like to explain the value of the mining ledger in this context? Because yeah, it, it effectively allows people who own these um, refineries to track who's been mining from their stuff. And it also will allow people to track what they've been mining. It's, it's taking some of the spreadsheeting out of industry, and I think that will be appreciated by most people who are involved. It's going to make, you know, working out fucking mining payouts a lot easier. As someone who used to do a lot of mining ops way, way back in the dark days of EVE Online. Back when I was in Lightning Strikes twice. Cool. It wouldn't be taxable, though, directly. 
be clear. Um, no, we we did. That was something that we kind of discussed with CCP about potentially having like a direct. Hey, you can choose to pay your tax now, like ahead of time, or you know, have it be have there be some level of automation with it. But it wasn't the route CCP wanted to go down. And at a certain point, you have to just say, "This isn't a hill that the CSM can die on. We've got other, you know, other issues that we need to push that we're probably going to get more movement on." Speaking of the vulnerabilities for these refineries, fuck me. Yes. Yeah, I guess we're going to go just go straight to the refineries topic now. I mean, we're here, right? Okay. So, what are the vulnerabilities? Why don't you read the quote for the audience, uh, Alexia? <clears throat> Yin Tan asked about how the vulnerability was for the refinery, to which CCP showed it was currently set to 20 hours each week, but that those numbers are still being adjusted. Yin Tan replied that they should move more towards 16 hours a day. Steve asked if it was possible to make their vulnerability window tied to the mining drill. Yin Tan has stressed that the vulnerability windows are hamstringing opportunities for strategic combat. And that time zone tanking is causing a lot of problems. Go, Jim. Yeah. Yes. It's so I have a fucking hate voter for. Yeah. So. I I think that the vulnerability timer thing should be reversed to an invulnerability timer. You get a small amount of hours you can set each I week. Actually, say in the fucking minute, yeah. Uh, minutes. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you there. Or you could say, oh, man, we just do not have anybody at this time of day, at this particular day. Let's like pr- be protected during that time. But for the most part, your shit's attackable. Like, you know, you can't shoot me on a Tuesday night because that's my, that's my drinking night. Exactly. I mean, like, I kind of don't like that either, right? Because... There is a great extent, or a good, great reason that I loved pauses and to a lesser extent focus is because you could shoot them when nobody was around, right? It allowed you to instigate a fight versus somebody who would otherwise be able to just blob you out of the sky or what have you. Certainly they could choose in a roundabout manner when the second fight would come out, when the, when the timer would happen. But being able to shoot it meant that you could aggress someone, right? You could cause them trouble at a time where they could not respond apart from having to form up and deal with you the next time round. So being able to just say, nobody can shoot this when I don't have folks around means that I can't cause people trouble when they don't have folks around. And that sort of seems a bit off in a 24 or 23 hour uptime universe. But uh, CCP deliberately doesn't want to go back to time zone wars from back in the day where people used to flip stations daily Depending yeah, on whether they were European or US. Time zone based war. It's just the exact opposite of that. Whereas that one encouraged you to be offensive in whatever time zone you had control in, this one encourages you to be defensive in literally every single time zone. Right. I mean, it's sort of beneficial to my style of gameplay at least, because if people can't shoot a structure in their time zone, they'll pay me to. So that's kind of good. But still, it sucks. I mean, it's definitely a step in the better direction. I don't think we're ever going to get CCP to go, these things should be completely attackable all the time because of the value that they represent and because of the goals that they have for structures in general. 
but getting them to go, these things should be more vulnerable than they are invulnerable would be an important step. Uh, also, I have a CC please note for the idea of an Eldritch Horror that could possibly be pulled up with the Moon Mining Chunk. Just spawns like a raid boss that rips apart every ship in the belt. I think that'd be fucking brilliant. CC please. Uh, if you haven't read the minutes, it's literally an idea. They also added they would like some chance for players to pull up an Eldritch Horror and start attacking players. I have a feeling it's a joke. But I would like it to not be a joke someday. I would also like that to not be a joke because it sounds baller as fuck. Dude, it'd be like the Balrog from Moria. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dwarves mine too deep. We dug too deep. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be fucking amazing. Maybe it roams throughout the entire system until you kill it. Just go, You never know where it's going to pop up necessarily. It just shows up and fucks up your shit till you come take it down. So like, awesome. like a like a sleeper mothership or something spawns and it just yeah. like wrecks everyone. Yeah, that'd be fucking dope. Oh, like it, there's a. We find out that drifters have been like seeding moons for years, and we haven't noticed it, and oh we're we're accidentally digging them up and disturbing them, and it just like spits out a, a bunch of like ridiculously <laughs> strong sleeper battleships. That would be or, or supers even that'd be amazing. Oh, Drifter Supers, yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, yeah. man's just coming his pants from the idea of Drifter Supers. <laughs> uh, okay, I just killed a Condor and a Republic Fleet Firetail with my Imacus 2v1. That's ridiculous. Uh, with regards to Citadel upkeep, I'm firmly in agreement that there needs to be some kind of cost beyond just fueling for the services. I would like to throw my hat into the ring for ISK being better than fuel for convenience sake. Rich organizations, they're always going to find a way to arrange logistical support such that they can fuel things. It's going to be a lot harder for small groups to do that. Uh, so if you're going to do it somehow, I don't think that ISK unfairly benefits rich organizations. I think fueling unfairly benefits rich organizations because rich organizations tend to be larger. So, yes. Isk, please. Doesn't even have to be a lot. Just something. And then if, you know, if your shit isn't uh, properly maintained in terms of paying that payment, it just unanchors. just kind of hangs around. If people could ever find it, they could scoop it back up. But it just needs to disappear. There's too many of these things floating around that aren't doing anything. Like an upwell licensing fee. Mm -hmm. Technology, anyway. Sorry, I'm just still in shock over the fact that I won a 2v1 in a fucking Imacus. You ever tried the dual medium ASB Heron? No, I haven't, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> it is, actually. It's super amazing. Alright, so that's... Uh... Kind of structures and all that covered. What else was there? I guess there was the balance meeting, but we covered that. Oh, I, I still have one more comment about structures. Damage oh. caps. Yeah. Quote, there were some complaints about how people do zero damage to the Citadel as they're above the cap, to which it was suggested the game should lie about the damage done so that everyone could see themselves doing damage. Yeah. I thought that was pretty fucking funny. That was a CCP. The Eve participation trophy. Yeah, Eve, Eve needs more participation trophies. 
Jesus Christ. XD. It's all well and good. So like 10, 15 years from now, all the E players are now complaining on Tumblr that how the oh game is a plus or something. <laughs> uh, Christ alive. Yeah. So I have all the ego. Uh, oh, and there was a question about whether or not Citadel should be able to point. I like that they can point. Makes attackers commit to fighting. I hate that it's freaking 200 kilometers, though. Like, it, it, I, I think point-to-find scrams are kind of bullshit. Yeah, because there's yeah. CCP made some comment about when they, when they nerfed Void Bombs, when they nerfed their speed and nerfed their reins, or like, hopefully this will make it more obvious the counter to fly against them, which is obviously you outrun, you kite the Void Bombs. That's not freaking possible, because a Citadel can scram anybody at 200 kilometers. 250, in fact. And there's not a single shove cap in the game which can both apply damage to the Citadel from beyond 250 kilometers and outrun the stupid Void Bomb. The one exception being drones, in which case you bomb the drones. It's like but I, I like that attackers have to commit to attacking. Like, that is a good thing. I, I, I definitely like that as well, but there's, there's a difference between forcing your opponents to commit and having your your advantage be ridiculously oppressive, which is... What if yeah. we, what if we there needs to be some say, counterplay. What if we just made a bubble? Like, literally, you put up a bubble. Yeah, that'd be good. Your I, Citadel, have instead of a point module, now you've got a bubble. At the end of the day, I think I think the kind of tactical concerns of the of citadels are nothing compared to the overwhelming strategic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the little things. Moving on to non-citadel issues. The little we'll things are the things you can argue more about because everyone, like not everyone, maybe thinks they're a problem, but. I just, I, like, I'm going to hit this fucking Citadel timer issue until it stops being an issue, or I, I leave CSM. <laughs> those, are the, those are the only two ways I'll shut up about it. Don't shut up about it even after you leave. And it's a change that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, just wanted to make a comment that it seems like having community managers be involved in all the different teams is probably good, as long as they still are talking to each other as well. That was also mentioned in the notes. Also, uh, Falcon talked about you know moving away from FanFest being a release deadline for development, and you know not really talking about new features at FanFest. I feel like there's got to be a middle ground there, where maybe it's not a deadline, but if you do happen to have some features that are gonna be ready round about that time, maybe you do announce some cool stuff, because it does feel like FanFest is less exciting in the past couple of years. There's got to be a hybrid approach that's that's a little bit better than both current strategies of all one thing and all the other thing. Uh, the map came up. Uh, map does, CSP doesn't have a time frame of when they're going to be working on the new map. I postulate it might be cheaper and easier for them to just buy Dotland and tweak it. I don't know if Valari uh, would be willing to partner, part with it, but if he was, uh, that's pretty much what you need, right? You need Dotland with access to in-game stats. Done. 
and maybe a pretty pretty map for when I people want to look in awe of the galaxy. I don't think it's good for everything. I don't think Dotlands would be your end of answer. To be perfectly honest. Is there it's pretty damn good. The only thing it doesn't have is average pilots in space. Yeah, I, that's going to be the one thing I could think of where the in-game map has something which Dotland does not have. So if we could just get Dotland to have that, put it inside the client somehow, and then that's the simplified map. And then you have the unsimplified, like you want to gaze in awe at the wonder of the galaxy map that looks super pretty. And then you just have your functional, here's a, a very abstract concept of what a solar system looks like. And here are the way they interact or they link to each other and you can populate their their centers with information. I think it'd be super helpful. Oh yeah, the uh, I have feels bad, man, when it says that their balance team's not actually going to be balancing. Yukiko gets some props. Um, hoping to see increased frequency of balance changes. I have a plus one on the idea of a resist reducer, but I feel like that would need some severe drawbacks to use. So for Artemis, this would be a a projected module that would reduce the resistances of the target ship. Mm. I really don't like that as a kind of solution to what we were talking about at the time, which was damage... Uh, Damage resist stacking. I feel like that only penalizes things you cut. That penalizes uh, non-damage locked ships. Sorry, da uh, penalizes damage locked ships far more than it penalizes uh, non-damage locked ships. So we're talking about like you're doing a bunch of damage of the same damage type. Like you're everybody in your fleet's firing EM missiles, then your EM missiles yeah. do less damage. No, no, no. like. There was a big long conversation with CCP. Like I basically just was wanted to have a discussion about how they felt the EM therm and in them locks were in like a, a more strategic sense. Just to kind of gauge CCP's thing on it and I kind of it, I stepped on that landmine and we spent like twenty minutes discussing it because it was a very, very meaty topic. Mm. There was a there was a lot of things to talk about there. Potentially interesting, though, instead of having straight damage mods, they could take a page out of the Dota League of Legends book and have, like, armor penetration, sort of. Um, resist penetration, where you're, instead of getting raw extra damage, uh, you reduce, or you, you essentially punch through a percentage of the bonus resists of the other ship. Yeah, like true damage. That would be interesting, but I don't don't know if that's something CCP would be interested in. I guess we'd have to see. Like, that doesn't feel particularly Eve. Uh, actually, it kind of feels super Eve, right? You're trading raw absolute damage for more damage in a specific situation. Only if, like, Eve is full of lots of trade-offs like that. Ammo. That's all I gotta say, because that would be so freaking broken. Sorry, yeah, you, what'd you say? Actually, with our teams, that was a that was a big topic as well. Like, if you give... Arties with their volley, the possibility to ignore some resistance. There's not a ship in the game which could stand up against any medium to large sized alpha fleet. 
I mean, sure they could. The answer would just be don't fit that resist hardener. Instead, fit another plate or something like that. Not with the kind of volley you're talking about. Yeah, with the kind of volley you're talking about. Like, increasing your explosive resist, let's say, by 10%, 10 absolute percent, versus adding one of those resistance platings, like, or uh, the hit point buffer platings, which gives you like an extra 15% total hit points. You know, if your if your enemy is like, okay, we're gonna like load up on explosive damage, and then we're gonna fit explosive resist penetration. Well, you know, if you haven't actually invested a lot in explosive resists on your ship, or perhaps has a high base resist, like some of the Tech Two stuff, then you just go more hit points, and they're actually hitting you for less overall damage than if they went straight damage mods. So you're talking specifically resists which are bonused by modules fit to the ship. I think that'd be the best way to go, but I'm not a game designer. Like, I, I really do think the only way you can balance EM thermalocks at this point uh, is just to have them have some way of doing either explosive or kinetic damage. I, I don't think there's any way around that. Like, anything you do to alleviate resist stacking in any other way will uh, still penalize them for being damage locked and only effectively buff those with damage selection. Like any way of reducing someone's resists or any, uh, I guess, penetration you can give to the game would benefit the weapon system which can switch damage types more. I mean, it's not like we're in it's not like we're in League of Legends where you have magic damage and physical damage and that's it. Like, you've got to think of it as if, okay, everyone's an AD carry, but there are four different types of AD, like, damage, or four different types of physical damage. And, you know, one champion can only use two of those. And it's kind of the reason why you have these, uh, it's kind of one of the reasons why you don't see, uh, as many Megathrons or Abaddons used to, and why Maelstroms and Makaros are so useful right now, is because you don't have to have, uh, you don't have to have multiple strategic fleets to make them worthwhile. Like, uh, if, if I want, to, if I want to use an Abaddon fleet, I have to be able to instantly reship into Makarios or something that isn't EM Thermlock if I notice they undock with EM Therm Tank. Yeah, but that's just to use rock, paper, scissor. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is rock, paper, scissors. I would, and I'd you can kind of predict what the materials are going to bring ammo-wise. Yeah, I know, but it's... The thing is, the, the materials can then change on the fly, but any ship that doesn't have missiles or projectiles doesn't have that option. You can't adapt in the field. You have to have strategically adapted before the fight's even begun. And I don't... And, like, to a degree, I feel that that is understandable because that's the main advantage that missiles and projectiles have. But the fact that there is no like lesser way for them to be involved, whilst they've also brought the damage patterns of all of these things up to par, like all the weapon systems right now are 
fairly balanced with regards to one another. It's not like it was back in the day where lasers were by far the best damage, like the best weapon in the game. Or for a while, um, railguns were the best weapons in the game by a significant margin. We're not at that point anymore. Everything's relatively balanced versus one another, so it comes down to just damage selection being the best uh, thing for you to have in your fleet. An alpha, damage selection, an alpha, all you want. The discussion on alpha, super interested in that, because CCP has tabled the idea of the FC ship, which is basically you've got a super massive tank, but pretty much nothing else. I've gone both ways on whether I think I like the idea or whether I don't, um, specifically because as an individual who's part of Mercenary Coalition, Mercenary Coalition being a group who has a good number of competent FCs, we can take advantage of that by, uh, what's it called, freaking headshotting FCs. Like, sure, you can web down one of our anchor, we've got five more. We can web down your anchor and you're stuck there because all you've got is F1 monkeys. That's something we like. That's that's something that I benefit from personally. But I can understand the frustration of getting a headshot and not being able to participate in the fight. So what was the discussion like in non-NDA terms? <laughs> um, it wasn't particularly long. It was just, hey, what do you guys feel about? The idea of a hedge, uh, of an FC ship, we've talked about it previously. It's something that I've championed, something that Vince Strachan hated the idea of. Uh, generally, people seem to like the idea. I kind of feel so, like command ships should already be this, and maybe they just need a balance yeah. pass to be tankier. I, I don't... I, I think the real problem there is that you can't make command ships much more tanky without them having... without them just becoming too strong. The damnation is really the only one that meets that criteria of like being tanky enough, and you can never have a shield ship that's that tank because it would be broken. How? Uh, fundamentally, you can't make either the Claymore or the Slapnir or the Vulture or the Nighthawk have that much EHP because of Why not? how shield works, because it has instant reps. It means that you would be very, very, you would very easily be able to have a fleet of those things that would be almost indestructible. And well, I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to balance them such that you're giving them more tank for make, giving yeah, them much the less damage. You, stuff can't, like that. you can't balance them to the point where you give them that much tank without then castrating their ability to do anything else apart from like maybe boost. Right. Well, that's what you want the FC ship to do, right? CCP still sees them as the T2 DPS battlecruisers, as well as everything else they do. That's still in their role package. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, I don't know what to say. Yeah, like... That's, that, that conversation isn't an ideal one to have. Having a, yeah, maybe, like, FCs being able to target Caldwell Cloaked might also be interesting, but you'd need a lot better, essentially for that you need a much better tactical overlay. I mean, Which, maybe that could be a thing. 
Does nobody find the being able to utilize your advantage in human capital a convincing argument? Not no, I think it's really. I think it's great, but it's also it's it's great it's great if it would stop at a certain level. Like, but the problem is that it really just means that if you're an FC, you don't get to play to a certain degree, which is not great. And beyond that. There are other issues with it, such as it always means the most organized and, uh, sorry, it means that the biggest entity, um, will most likely win. I... Because they have the largest leadership school to pull from. And MC it's, is obviously. That doesn't seem to actually be true. Though. Yeah, that's definitely I, not I, true. No, I, I, I would disagree. Like, I thought entities like Pandemic Legion and Pandemic Legion will always have com, uh, have spies and comms and they will always know when you change FCs, they'll know who they change it to, and they will just kill them repeatedly, and it will send your fleet into complete disarray. That's, you know, that's a yeah, valid tactic it, it to a degree, like... but I don't see that as the way the game should be played. Then it sounds less like the issue is that FCs can be killed, and more that you're letting spies on your comms. Like, there's a certain... Spies on your comms is a necessary implication of the method by which you play the game. Consequences of that is that it is very easily easy to identify and headshot your FCs. Right? The okay, the ability I, of I, I would FCs to be headshot that. isn't necessarily the root problem. I, I mean, like, if you talk about things like test and the larger wars that we've had, headshotting FCs has been pretty much the, the default tactic. It is the one thing every every major alliance does and every major alliance understands as a core part of warfare is headshot FC. It's just something that we're having a discussion on. And I think it would I think the game would be better if headshotting was less powerful as a, as a tactic. Well it kinda goes if you want to draw a warfare comparison, it's like, I think the main issue is that all of our generals lead from the front. Because of how the game is played yeah, and because of the mechanics. The back, sure, but I can't. Right. So I think the real, the real thing is to like have mechanics for FCs to be able to do that. I mean, if you think about it, you ask any general if they'd rather be on the field. I'm certainly they'd say yes. They have access to much more information. Similarly, an FC and Eve in the ship in the fight has access to much more information. It's just generals on the field weigh the risks versus the benefits and choose to sit in the back and lose that info. Like, I've been on fleets where an FC is dead and there is nobody around to take over, be it they just don't have the um, character, if you will, to lead the fleet. So the FC will have an individual fleet member call out the EHP, like, is the target dying? And how far away are you from their blob? And they just use that delay in exchange for that's, now that's they can That's just you not playing at the same scale that I play the game, though, because you don't get the opportunity to do that in large-scale fights. You don't. That there is not enough time. The handover has to be very quick. It has to be very organized. If you lose cohesion for any long period of time, the battle is already over and you've lost. But if an FC could get that kind of information without a severe delay, that would be ideal. 
right? I think I mean, it'd be overpowered. I, I'd be worried that that would be overpowered, yeah. Like, I, I think that they should be able to be headshot. I do think that FCs should be able to be headshot. I just feel it should be vastly more difficult than it is right now, or, you know, I, I would rather it be based around you force your you force the enemy fleet off the field, you can hold down the, the MFC, or you can web him off so he can't be the anchor, but he stays there. You know, I'm all for FC's dying. FC's dying is great. It builds animosity, it builds hatred, it builds all those things, lovely, you know, angry words that make us want to fight each other again. But it's, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, I, 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 I think FC I should definitely be able to be killed. Like, but... like I said, I could formulate, formulate a better argument for this, but I'm Unfortunately, just as a, uh, just because of when we record this podcast, it's very. I have a write-up. So. No, looking forward to reading that. Um, I also wanted to give a plus one for CCP broadcasting big fights on their official channel. I think that's awesome. Uh, I have a comment: the dream is dead. Yintan asked if it was possible to change the system to use damage cap nodes with regards to the Sav, and CCP replied that over time they would likely move to that system. Rip. Blob Warfare 24-7. Eve Online. Blobs Online. Fucking damage caps of blobs. Alexiev fucking retarding 10 24-7. <laughs> like, I, the, the damage cap I suggested was like 5 T1 cruisers. You'd be able to cap the node. Yes, but we'll lie and say that even if you bring 50, they all feel like they're doing the same amount of damage. No. <laughs> 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 We'll design the game so that uh, blobs aren't theoretically as much as a thing, but we'll also design the game such that players don't don't think that way. So that way we still get we'll all the blobs. just represent those ten characters as one character. You'll never know. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to this brave new world of CCP lying to us. I still think that's captured. Uh, I have problems with it. I don't know how you... I don't... I, okay. Alexia, explain this to me. How are you okay with Intosis, but not okay with damage caps? Because an Intosis is effectively a damage cap, just in the most, like, sideways way possible. For me, a damage cap is the worst of both worlds. That's how. Like, with Intosis, you get the timer mechanic of a damage cap without having to commit the number of players requiring that barrier of entry to hit the damage cap. And then if there's no damage cap, then people can bring N plus one number of people and get it done like in game breaking amounts of time. So with the damage cap on, you still have to bring a large number of people, but you still have to wait a certain amount of time. Okay. Yeah, but so uh... yeah, but so you're saying that N plus one making the timer go faster is a positive. No, I'm saying it's not a positive. But then you're saying that the fact that damage caps don't let you do that is a negative. Because you still have to bring the blob anyway. You okay. So you bring the blob so and it doesn't so go faster. You don't think you could use small gang tactics with a damage cap node system? Yes. I would strongly disagree with that interpretation. Show me the small gang warfare citadel fights and we can discuss. Citadels are a different thing. You know that and I know that. Because they're actively defended by like, yeah, I, I, 
if it's a if it's a reasonably scaled damage cap, maybe a damage cap that's tied with ADMs in it, it would make for a much healthier system because you know you're still forced to commit ships, but they have to be actual combat ships. That way, you don't have this bullshit with um, 500 MN rapiers. You don't have quite as much of a difficulty that you're still going to have real big problems uh, with uh, uh, insta-warp scepters. And it comes down back to the fundamental thing I keep talking about, which is that Intosis Sov is bad because it has a limited number of points of failure built within the Intosis system. Your goal for winning a fight in Intosis Sov is not to defeat your enemy in the field, or to take away your enemy's ability to fight you, or anything like that. The only like objective you have to win is I need to kill the these like ten to fifteen ships from an enemy fleet and I win. No matter how spread out they are. And that means that you're going to use mechanics or tactics that are specifically designed just to maximize your ability to do those tasks, which is why we have fuzzy wars. I mean, Fuzzy Claws are not going to go away. I mean, no, because they're really powerful in other ways that people fucking use them unironically in big fleet fights because they're hilariously low commitment and hilariously good for fucking with people. Like, you can just warp onto anyone's fleet and just headshot their FC and laugh at them. And there's nothing yeah, exactly. to do about it. It's great. I've done it a couple of times. It's really fucking dumb that it works, but it's a thing. If you can field enough people such that the artillery strike from a claw can can uh, can kill an actual ship, then why would you not do something which warps through bubbles, moves super fast, and is super cheap? It's the exact theory behind the Harpy fleet, except now it's like the next evolution of that. It's it's fucking atrocious. It's awful. I'm glad you're finally agreeing with me. I've been agreeing with you that the artillery interceptors are an issue. I just don't think they're an issue with SAW, they're just an issue with artillery interceptors. Okay. Anyway, um yeah, I to me it feels like you're still you're still pigeonholing the blob into a system where we know the blobs are bad. And you're I just gonna just... instead of instead of like crazy five hundred demand rapiers, you're just gonna get like shit fit omens. That are AFK grinding stuff. I mean, sure, but you're always going to have some form of AFK grinding. I want the app keyboard grinding to be engaging and like actually create conflict, which right now the system we have doesn't do. At least that's my perception. I know some people have talked and like, yeah, but I really like, um, yeah, I really like the Intosis system because I got this like couple of small gang fights over it. It was really fun. I was like, yeah, that's that's great, but you're not the majority of people using this system. The majority of people using this system find it be ungodly terrible and not me. I feel like that's only a problem because the quote the majority of people are coalesced into like three alliances. Yeah, or are that's, that's fair, but fly with those alliances constantly. You know, block hates it, and you know you'd have thought that Probiblock would be one of the alliances that loves the Intosis system. Realistic. Yeah, I still don't understand why you guys don't like it. it. Seems to favor you guys quite a bit. Although you also don't have the FCs to really do it properly. So it's because fucking it takes a million 
like it takes a shitload of concentrated leadership and there is only you know we're a fairly casual alliance we don't attract the kind of people who want to lead large fleets um at least as much as other alliances do you know maybe that's our problem but sure as hell don't think the game should be increasing the amount of leadership required to play in the game at this point it's not even leadership it's just like independent thinking pilots they're not that no, fucking hard to get it's a willingness to say this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it and step up and make that kind of call like if you've ever worked in a job in real life you'll know that that's not a common thing people generally don't stick their necks out it's not a it's 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 something that you have to uniquely want to do. At least in my experience of life. I thought Innominate had a funny comment about how Nullsec is static right now. I had a big lull about that one. It's not that we. It's not as if we've had like a major conflict every month for the past few months, and didn't just have one of the biggest shakes up in the nullsec happen. I mean, if if you exclude the CO two thing, did Solve actually change hands in any of those conflicts? Well, not for lack of trying, though. I mean, if you're on the losing side, then it is definitely for the lack of trying, because you didn't want that Solve anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, certainly Try is trying, and I'm sure FCON is trying. Circle 2 was certainly trying until they got killed. I know there's people definitely trying in Cloud Ring, people definitely trying in Scalding Pass. What's going on in Scalding Pass? Uh, some soft shakeups. Folks that used to live in Great Wildlands invaded and took space. Hmm. And I believe I don't know what their current situation is, but I imagine they're not too friendly with the locals. And since Try is away, uh, fighting for their lives, they're not getting kicked out at the moment. At least not by any organized force. So that's happening. It's like stuff. Stuff is happening in the game. It's just like again. I think it's a problem of. The vast majority of players are concentrated into two or three alliances or are pets of those alliances. So yes, if you're in that bubble, things may be static for you. But if you're outside of that bubble, we're looking at the entire picture. It certainly seems like a lot of shit's going down the past couple months. Here's a question for you. When moons change... And if things go the way that you think they were, are they will, where basically if somebody's holding a moon and they don't want to let me mine on their stuff, I can just go mine somewhere else, will that dissuade or at least disincentivize the quote-unquote pet system? That is, there's a bigger fish who can kick you out of wherever it is you need to be in order to do your thing, so you basically do what that bigger fish wants you to do so that you can do your thing. Oh, I think that'll that'll always exist. Really? Even if the bigger fish has no incentive to kick you out? Yeah. I mean, the, the no incentive, incentive is control, right? 
you don't want to have structures that you can't control in your sphere of influence, if possible, because people could stage out of them. Yeah, I can get that. Like, there's no way, like, Goonswarm, for instance, is going to tolerate some corp putting a refinery, which you can dock at and, like, stage fleets out of five jumps away from their headquarters system. It's just yeah, not going like to happen. Yeah, that corp wouldn't care to put it five jumps away from their staging system. They'll just go put it somewhere else in the universe. Well, yeah, well, at that point, then you don't have to be their pet because you're not anywhere close to the big fish. But if you want to get the stuff out there, the only way is if you play ball with the locals. I think it helps that apparently the stuff out there is not going to be that great compared to the stuff everywhere else. But you'll still have to be somebody's best friend unless you're powerful enough that you can take on any fleets that would come to kick over your sandcastle just to hurt you. Or because it was in their interest to make sure that there was not a group they couldn't influence in the area. Also, uh, one last point, kind of ending on a humorous note. Yin Tan brought up the issue of there not being enough standing slots for alliances and asked CCP if they could increase the number of slots. Maybe you would just want to talk to CBA about that red list instead. <laughs> be a little faster. Yeah, you never know. It's, it, it, honestly, that was just something I was throwing out at the end of every session, just because, you know, I've never gotten anywhere with it. I think it's fuck it at this point. Might as well just shotgun every team and see which see which one will be able to fix it. I think Pravi Block is the only alliance or group of alliances in history to have ever run into that problem. <laughs> Most likely, yep. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't Brave the only alliance to ever run into the issue of maxing out the number of slots in a corp? And so CCP had to change that. Yeah, but that makes sense for Brave. CVA, they're just kind probably. of killing themselves with it. There's probably alliances on that fucking red list that have not existed for years. You say that, but I've you know I've been killing Ushra Khan all throughout the day. Hoo-hoo. Wow. The passion still burns bright. No, nah, it's just a friendly rivalry, I think, at this point. I've had a beer with one of the old leaders of uh, Ushra Khan, actually. He came to a Birmingham meetup. Nice guy. Cool. All right, let's uh, roll into host highlights and wrap this up. I just wanted to give you guys an update on the Great Wildlands Development Project. Uh, the market is real. Nightjester came in and fucking exploded the market. We now have pretty much every needed pvp and some pve modules for frigate and cruiser and destroyer class ships as long as uh, as well as those ships and their tech 2 counterparts at about cheetah prices maybe slightly more but pretty reasonable for nullsec so that's a thing uh our wallet just from the percent tax exploded up to like 300 something almost overnight and then it's increased a little bit more from people uh buying, refining, manufacturing. I will say this, though. Uh, I did not appreciate, prior to owning a Citadel, how little you make from mining and manufacturing as a Citadel owner. 
It's pretty paltry. Like Soitios cannot be profitable unless you're manufacturing yourself. And even so, then. As I understand it, it's all about the rigs. Like the rigs and the bonuses on them is what makes it profitable. But those things are freaking expensive. Yeah, but it's it's profitable in the same way as like if you if you put down a Soitio and I put down a Soitio and you rigged yours and mine wasn't rigged, I could go manufacture in yours and make almost as much profit. As long as you weren't taxing me out the ass. But if you had like a reasonable tax rate, you're not making that much money per build. Like fine, go go, other person, invest the money in the rigs, which are freaking expensive. Cause why would I ever do that? Again, as long as there's someone that will invest in the rigs, it might as well not be you. Because you're you're not gonna make that money back. In, in turn, again, in terms of the raw tax, it would take you, like, dozens of years. If I remember right, this is something that, like, Sullen was talking to Raoul about, but it was kind of low on the priority list. Like, if you have the cost-reducing rigs on your uh, uh, manufacturing facility, it actually reduces the amount of tax you get. <laughs> it's pretty dumb. Yeah, I don't know, like, uh, these uh, ice miners came out to our system, and they mined, like, a lot for a couple of hours. I think they pulled in, like, enough to fuel uh, a Citadel for, like, a whole month in the course of an afternoon. And for all the refining of all those ice chunks, I think we made, like, a thousand isk. Wow. Or something like that. 1,500 isk, maybe. It was not a lot. I guess if you consider that uh, compared to the volume of every citadel and all of you needing fuel, certainly somewhere along the line, like if you get enough volume pumping through there, it's going to make bank. Yeah, but the amount of volume. Uh, it's not, um, there's not even necessarily a, a fix for it. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. It's just like striking at how uh, unprofitable it is. Now the market, the market makes bank because you you get a percentage on the putting it up for sale and you also get a percentage on the person buys. And the percentages are pretty decent. But I don't know what the deal is um, with manufacturing costs and refining costs. It's almost like the market keeps up with the value of the items, but the refining and manufacturing does not. I don't have any concrete numbers to validate that claim. That's just kind of how it feels. But anyway. Uh, yeah, rigs. <laughs> Citadel rigs. Super expensive for what they give you. I, uh, I don't know how on board I am with their current cost balance. I don't think it needs to be quite as incidental as, say, ships. But at the same time, for what you're getting out of them, especially if you plan on having this as like a public service type thing, not that great. Any thoughts on that, Ian? Um, 
yeah, I don't think industrial stuff is probably made meant to make money, but maybe it's something they can look at in the future. I think there are a hell of a lot more pressing issues to take advantage of first. Sure, but this could be a pretty low-hanging fruit balancing thing, basically a numbers tweak. What would what were you talking about in terms of what balance? Uh, the cost of the rigs. No, I think rigs have balanced absolutely fine the way they are. They're very expensive. They're very niche. That's my perspective on it, at least. Like, okay. it would be nice if they were lowered, like, maybe 10% or something like that. I don't think we're going to see a scale decrease in it. Still, I will recognize that this is not my area of expertise, and it's not something I should talk about. Like, in a meeting with CCP, I wouldn't be discussing this kind of subject, because it's something I recognize I don't know enough about to have a meaningful input on. Certainly some of the combat rigs I could see, but you, you would think the purpose of the industrial rigs is to make money faster. And they don't they don't seem very worth it from that point of view. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It would probably take a pretty dramatic cost reduction to make it that way, to make it the case. Uh, and then there's also people I'm sure are putting up, for instance, Soitios like MCs1 and uh, Baskerin that are like, alive for years and probably are making that much money, so who knows? Seems slightly too much for what it gives you right now. But yeah, uh, Great Wildlands going great. We've also picked up quite a few new recruits. We're starting to build into a European time zone now, which is awesome. Um, once again, if anyone out there is interested in joining, uh, just hit me up in-game, join Capitalist Chat, uh, try to catch me on stream sometime. I'm always happy to talk about what the corp is up to and uh, you know the sort of thing we have going on. We're, we're basically creating ourselves a little community out there, uh, living off the land, mining, exploring, ratting, roaming, uh, getting involved in some of the local fleet fights. We just were involved in a big Citadel fight in 7Q, which was a lot of fun. Uh, it's pretty... Pretty fun, and we're even starting to get some corps that are uh, starting to populate some of the clusters around where our trade hub is based. Shout out to Obsolete. So, looking good on Great Wildlands. We'll continue to keep the audience updated as to our progress. Yin? Um, yeah, my personal post highlight for today is going to be uh, something dumb we did fighting PL. Basically, what we did was they launched a citadel in our space and we realized we couldn't take them head on so what we decided to do was uh, hand out nearly a thousand free towels to our members and tell them to go shoot the citadel uh, whilst you know running into the guns of Yell's fleet that they had on grid uh, kind of Stalingrad style and it was hilarious and it actually worked uh, so you know we Lost nine. We lost over. I think it's one thousand two hundred and thirty-five ships in total. Oh my gosh! Over the course of about an hour, so that's nearly twenty ships a minute. And uh, you know, we killed four Macarios and we killed the Citadel. And we stood down. Pretty great. So towers were worth what five to ten mil a piece? Oh, like lower, less than that. They were like three or four mil. We we forfeit the no T two mods, like mostly Meta Zero or Meta One. So you probably spent about three bill to kill a fort? 
we spent about four bill, um, but then a couple of other people just lost random shit, just throwing it into the furnace because it was actually really fun. It's yeah. positive. Oh no, I think we came behind on this, but you know, we had a shitload of fun and we won the objective. Not much more you can really ask for beyond that. Awesome. Artemis? My host highlight is like a whole lot less impressive than these two guys. It's just the most fun thing I had in the last two weeks, three weeks in the eve. Um, so I make my money by just creating random neutral alts, sticking them in Pravi, and ratting on VNIs on my second monitor while I do homework. And in one particular instance, there was this hunter who came through the pocket, and a very common tactic of these hunters is they will fly through a system, they'll find out what site you've been ratting in by where the wrecks are, bookmark it, and then leave for a few minutes, and then come back, warp directly to the site, and hopefully catch it till you warp out. It's great for people who are AFK ratting or not paying that much attention, but for me, somebody who hunts myself and also is paying attention, it's an opportunity to troll some hunters. And so whenever I see a guy doing this, I'll let him do it. Like, I'll leave Sis and then I'll go instantly straight back to my site. And when they come back into the system the second time, I'll just align out and wait for them to warp back to my site. And when I see them land grid, then I'll warp off and I'll fly them in local a bit. Rinse and repeat, I got up to three times and uh, my hunter was particularly salty. I didn't take screenshots because I was, I don't know, an idiot at the time, but it was great. It was fun. That was my highlight, making some hunter angry because I, I thought you were going to troll him by uh, going back to the site in a combat ship, waiting for him to land and killing him. Nah, because it was a it was a freaking Sino. So like, ah. sure, I could maybe kill a Sino, but then my BNI alt can't make isk. And the great part about the way I do it is. For the two to five minutes that they're out of system, waiting for me to go back to my site, I'm still making ISK just like normal. So in this entire 20 to 30 minutes, I made 60 mil across all my alts. This guy got extremely frustrated, and I got a little bit of joy in my evening. Very nice. Okay, guys. Uh, that's it. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in our show poll and leave a comment on this episode. Wherever you are, guys, good hunting, listeners. <laughs>